Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. Become a Coast Insider, and you can hear this complete conversation as well as recent shows featuring guests discussing new cases of the troubling cattle mutilation phenomenon, worrisome instances of clandestine CIA torture, and the evidence that the lost city of Atlantis may have really once existed. Check out these programs and many other fascinating episodes waiting for you in the Coast to Coast Archive by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. So 40 years ago, we had this horrible tragedy in Guyana. But tell us about the People's Temple, because were they, were they from San Francisco originally? Originally, they were from Indiana, and Jim Jones, his theology and his politics didn't quite mesh with Indiana. So he moves down to Brazil, and then he has a revelation that we're all going to die in a nuclear war. And there is a place in uh, Redwood Valley that he claims is going to be protected from a nuclear holocaust. And so he moves about 150 people from Indiana to Northern California. And in Northern California at that time, things, you know, the stars were kind of aligning for Jim Jones because. You know, this, this was a place in the, in, the, in the late 1960s, early 1970s, you kind of had the hangover after the high. They moved down to San Francisco, and of course San Francisco in the 1970s, you had the Simonese Liberation Army, you had, you know, kidnapping Patty Hearst, yep. assassinating Marcus Foster in, in Oakland, you had the Zodiac killings, the, the Zebra killings, uh, you know, shooting Art Agnos, who later becomes the mayor of San Francisco in the chest. The New World Liberation Front putting a bomb on, on uh, Diane Feinstein's windowsill, her daughter's windowsill. You had the attempted assassination by Sarah Jane Moore on the President of the United States, Gerald Ford, in 1975. So there was a lot going on in San Francisco in those years. And in that context, People's Temple almost looks mainstream to, to people in San Francisco. And you have people flocking to them. And, you know, a lot of leaders, local leaders, press figures, celebrities, viewing the People's Temple as, as doing something great. Tell us about Jim Jones, Daniel. Exactly who was he? Jim Jones, when he gave his own autobiographical sketch, he said that he, you know, he went into the church, he, he said the thought was, how can I demonstrate my Marxism? And he said the thought was to infiltrate the church. Now, he's not the best authority on Jim Jones. He was a liar and often, you know, made things up about himself. But I think he tells the truth there. From a very young age, he was interested in religion. I spoke to a kid who knew, well, a kid, an almost 90-year-old guy now, who knew him when he was 10 years old. And he told me a strange story about Jim Jones. They went to a kind of a Pentecostal church in, uh, in Indiana, and at the end of the service, the minister said, if anyone hasn't been saved, please come on up. And Jim Jones comes on up, gets saved. The next week, he does the same thing, and Jim Jones comes on up. Now, you're only supposed to do this once, but Jim Jones every week would come up to get saved. And the theory from this old friend of Jim Jones was that he really liked the attention. And from there, Jim Jones started preaching to friends. Someone caught him preaching to a forest, you know, and trees, essentially. Um, And he became quite good at that. And it was a bit strange, because he came from a family in the Bible Belt that did not go to church, and that was very unusual at the time. His father was a World War I vet who was really disabled, more, more psychological than anything else, from the war. And his mother was this domineering character, very strange woman. She changed her first name three times as an adult. She believed that she had you know, walked the earth as the rich and famous in past lives. 
Uh, she wore pants at a time that, you know, women were wearing dresses and skirts and that kind of thing. So people found her to be a very strange woman, wouldn't let Jim Jones in the house when she was not home. Um, when Jones would steal things, she would, you know, almost reward the boy and not, not, not punish him for this. So he had a very strange upbringing, was, was a bit of an outcast, and he found that he could get a lot of attention through the ministry. At the same time, it's not clear that he ever believed in God. He died at the age of 47, of course, in Guyana, had nine children. Kind of looked like a Hollywood actor, didn't he? Well, so certainly his jet black hair, it reminded me of Elvis's hair, and he wore sunglasses. When, when he got to California, he started wearing sunglasses, and he started wearing sunglasses inside, which he, even in the late 60s, that was kind of a strange, strange behavior. It's the kind of thing that rock stars would do. And Jim Jones, in his own way, was a rock star in front of his, uh, in front of his people's temple, but the people that I spoke to in, in the temple, they kind of figured out at a certain point that he was wearing those sunglasses because he was doing a lot of drugs. Uh -huh, interesting. What kind of magnetism did he have, Daniel, in order to be able to persuade people to follow him the way he did? Well, he was a tremendously charismatic man, and I'll tell you just one story that just blew my mind. I interviewed a guy who uh, defected from the temple in the mid-'70s before Jonestown happened. He hates Jim Jones, and this guy is a very smart individual, very educated man, has an advanced degree from Stanford. And I asked him, you know, at, at what point did you realize that all of these faith healings were fake? Did, did you realize that Jim Jones was a flim-flam man? He said, what are you talking about? I said, well, what, at what point did you realize that this was all a bunch of hocus-pocus? That I don't understand your question. I said, well, when did you realize the guy didn't have these supernatural powers? And he said, oh, no, Jim Jones had powers. To this day, wow. 40 years afterwards, he believes that Jim Jones possessed supernatural powers. And he went on to cite a whole bunch of instances in which Jones used these powers for good or for evil. Uh, and so even if you don't believe that Jones had these powers, it suggests that he had a power of some sort. Yeah. The charisma, psychological hold. To, to, to have a guy 40 years later who hates Jim Jones saying that, no, Jim Jones had this power... Well, he had some kind of power, obviously. In a very bizarre way, Daniel, had he lived, he probably would have been an avid liter a listener of this show. He, he, he <laughs> sounds like he was into these things. Well, he certainly was. He was, he was into reincarnation and ESP, um, and he, he, you know, he, he presented himself as, as having supernatural powers, and a lot of people believed it. That wasn't the only guy that I spoke to who believed that Jones had powers, and he would, in a very specific way, the People's Temple would brag about the, the various uses of his powers. In 1972, for instance, they claimed that he had, uh, you know, raised 40-something corpses from the dead. And they would have testimonials from various people saying that he cured cancer from them. He claimed to have cured cancer from Huey Newton's parents. So for, if you look at the Jonestown dead, there's a huge percentage of them that are older people. About a third of them who died were, were elderly or senior citizens. A lot of the, the attraction for a lot of these people to the church was that they were getting old, they had various ailments, and Jim Jones claimed that he could cure them. And a lot of them believed that he did cure them. One woman I spoke to, uh, her dad had a heart condition, couldn't work, and Jim Jones, uh, you know, laid hands on him in church. He went to the doctor. The doctor said, your heart's healed. They believed that they had, he had healed this, this woman's father. And so the whole family from that point forward, they're indebted to him for that, and they stick with him. And you can imagine how much of a hold that would have on people. Oh, my God, yeah. So at what point, Daniel, did he decide 
to move from California to the Guiana? Well, in San Francisco, he had a very, very eventful run. Uh, I, one of the things that people don't realize about Jim Jones is that you know he held positions of power in San Francisco. He was appointed to the city's housing commission authority, and he very quickly became the chairman of the housing committee commission. Um, effectively making him the largest landlord in San Francisco, which is kind of a scary thought when you think of how he treated his tenants in Jonestown. So he was a beloved figure in San Francisco. Willie Brown called him a combination of, of Mahatma Gandhi and, and Martin Luther King. Jeez. Uh, he wrote, wrote Fidel Castro saying that Castro should, have a, should grant Jones a state visit when he came to Cuba to meet with Huey Newton. Now, Castro didn't do that, but, but Brown said that Jones was a highly trusted brother in the struggle for liberation. And even Rosalind Carter, the, the president's wife, when she came to San Francisco, she had Jim Jones introduce her when she's campaigning for Jimmy Carter. He, he dines with, with Rosalind Carter. They speak on the phone. We know this because Jones surreptitiously taped the conversation. They transcribed it. And Rosalind Carter referred him to uh, uh, Ruth Carter Stapleton, who was the president's sister who was involved in the ministry, and then they began to converse. And so he was very much in with the in crowd in San Francisco. What happens is, at a certain point, all of these stories just become too big to ignore. There are people talking about being beaten in the temple, uh, being forced to sign over their homes, being forced to give their money to Jim Jones these fake faith healings where he would pull, you know, chicken gizzards from people and claim that they were cancer. All of this kind of caught up to him. So the very thing that made him, that attracted people to him, these faith healings, threatened to unmake him. And he was, he was facing some, some legal issues. Mainly, he had kidnapped a boy um, from two of his followers who had defected. He brought that boy down to Guyana. And shortly thereafter, about a thousand people from San Francisco follow him uh, to Jonestown. So up until this point, Jonestown, for a lot of people that I talked to, they found it to be a very pleasant place. But once Jones gets gets down there, it becomes a very dark, unpleasant place. Not so much a commune as it is a concentration camp. Was he, in your opinion, Daniel, insane? I think he was on drugs, and I think he was someone who was off-the-charts narcissistic. He didn't view human beings as actual human beings, but sort of as pawns in the, the movie that he was starring in, and he treated people like that. Now, whether that's insanity or a personality disorder, I'm not a psychiatrist or anything like that, so I couldn't answer that. Um, certainly, you know, in his preaching, he claimed to be God. He claimed that socialism was, was God, and that he was the, the, um, the person who represented socialism best on earth, so that made him God. And for some of the people in People's Temple, um, some of mainly the white people who kind of were attracted to his preachings uh, against the Vietnam War, or for civil rights, or for various political things, they were attracted to that message. The message that um, a lot of the older folks were attracted to was sort of the faith healings, and I think the majority of people came to People's Temple because of these faith healings, but once they were in, he sort of went on these sort of long Fidel Castro-like harangues talking politics, and it became very much um, kind of a political pressure group more than it was a church. And uh, the 900 that uh, he brought to Guyana, were there more who decided they didn't want to kill themselves, or was that the number? Well, it was it was pretty close to, to everyone who was there. So 
Um, on November 18, 1978, um, Jones decides to unleash what he calls revolutionary suicide. And what provokes this is a visit from Congressman Leo Ryan. Um, and Leo Ryan comes down there because he's concerned about the treatment of the people and also because of this kidnapped little boy. Yeah. And at a, at a, when Ryan leaves, uh, Jones sends out his security force, people called the Red Brigade, and they assassinate the congressman. They kill three journalists, and they kill one of the defectors. Oh, and at geez. that point, they unleash what's called revolutionary suicide uh, in, inside of, of Jonestown. The amazing thing about that is that there's only four people who really escaped. There were about 15 people who leave with the congressman. There were about 12, 11 people who earlier that day just got out under the guise of going to a picnic, but they were really escaping. But once the killing starts, there's only there's four African-Americans who either evade getting killed or escape. There's uh, five people he lets go. There's three members that he gives you know million or so dollars to and tells them to give it to the Soviet Union. They leave. His two lawyers, Mark Lane and Charles Gary, he allows to leave. But other than that, everyone dies. Is this Mark Lane the uh, who became the great author? Yes, this is the same Mark Lane. He, he became Jim Jones's lawyer at the very end. Huh. And uh, Char- Charles Gary, who was Angela Davis and Huey Newton's lawyer, he became Jones's lawyer. And Lane and Gary, <laughs> you know, they, they escape through the jungle, and they hate each other, and they sort of walk through the jungle uh, rather humorous story. Um, Gary has this big suitcase, and Lane's saying, "Get rid of the suitcase! Get rid of the suitcase!" And Gary won't won't do it. And finally, he finds out what's in the suitcase. It's a hair dryer. <laughs> so he, <laughs> needed, he needed to walk through the jungle with his big overloaded hair dryer. But that's it. You know, you have four people. Nine hundred nine people die, and four people escape. So they were amazingly effective at what they did. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.